You're listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 13. Trouble at Sea. When dawn appeared, rose-fingered child of the morning, Odysseus immediately put on his tunic and his cloak, and the nymph put on her great white mantle, delicate and lovely. She threw a beautiful golden belt around her waist and a veil over her head, and right then she planned the send-off of great-hearted Odysseus. She gave him a huge bronze axe made for his hands, sharp-edged on both sides with a strongly fixed handle of gorgeous olive wood. Then she gave him a well-made adze, a carpenter's axe, and led the way to the edge of the island, where great trees, alder and black poplar had grown, and silver fir as high as heaven. They'd dried out long ago, and they were now very dry. They were light in weight, and they'd float for him. Once she'd shown him where the tall trees grew, Calypso, goddess of goddesses, went to her home, but Odysseus cut down the trees and quickly finished his work. He felled twenty in all and shaped them with bronze. He smoothed them skillfully and straightened them to a plumb line. Meanwhile, Calypso, goddess of goddesses, brought augers, and he bored through all the planks and joined them together with pegs and ties and pounded them in place. As broad as the bottom of a merchant ship, measured out by a skilled carpenter, that's how broad Odysseus made the raft. Setting up the decks at fore and aft and joining close-set ribs, he put it together. Then he finished it, with long side planks. He made the mast and joined the yard arm to it. He made a rudder nearby so he could steer. He fenced the raft throughout with willow wicker work to defend against waves and packed the fence with plenty of wood. And Calypso, goddess of goddesses, she brought in the cloth to make a sail and he finished that just as skillfully. He tied all the rigging, the braces, halyards, and sheets to it. And then, using bars and levers, he hauled the raft down to the divine sea. That was the fourth day, and he'd finished everything. On the fifth day, divine Calypso sent him from the island. She washed him and dressed him in sweet-smelling clothes, and the goddess put black wine in a leather bag and filled another big bag with water. She put provisions in a sack, filling it with plenty of cooked meat, as much as he could want. She sent a favorable wind, harmless and warm. Divine Odysseus, joyful at the fair wind, spread the sails. Then he sat and steered with the rudder skillfully, and sleep didn't fall on his eyelids. He looked to the Pleiades, and late-sinking boots, the herdsman, and Arcton the bear, also called the wagon, or, as you might know it, Ursa Major, which turns on itself and watches Orion, and is the only constellation to never dip into the sea. Calypso, goddess of goddesses, had told him to keep those stars on his left hand as he sailed across the ocean. For seventeen days he sailed, crossing the sea. And on the eighteenth day, the shadowy mountains of the land of the Fayeques appeared, where the land was closest to him. The mountain had the look of a shield floating on the misty ocean. From the mountains of the Solimoi, Lord Poseidon, the Earthshaker, on his way back from the Ethiopians, saw Odysseus from a distance. He was clearly visible, sailing on the sea, and Poseidon's anger grew in his heart, and shaking his head, he said to himself, This is unbelievable. 
No doubt, while I was with the Ethiopians, the other gods changed their minds about Odysseus. And he's near the land of the Phaeakes, where it's his fate to escape the great crisis of misery that's coming for him. But still, I think I'll give him his fill of trouble. So saying, he grasped his trident in his hands, he gathered the clouds and stirred up the sea. He roused all the storm winds, all kinds of gales, and covered both land and sea with clouds. Then night arose from heaven. Eurus and Notos, the east and south winds, hurtled down with ill-blowing Zephyrus, the west wind, and Boreas, the north wind, sprung from the clear sky, whirling into a great wave. And right then, Odysseus' knees went weak, and his dear heart broke. He was shaken, and he said to himself, to his great-hearted spirit, Oh God, I'm cursed! After all this, what'll happen to me now? I'm afraid the goddess was telling the truth. She said that on the sea I'd have my fill of pain before I reached my fatherland, and that's what's happening. Zeus wreathes wide heaven with clouds, he stirs up the sea, and storm winds, all kinds of gales, rage. My sheer destruction is assured now. The Danaeans destroyed in wide Troy, serving Atreides, they were blessed. Three, no, four times blessed. I wish I'd died like that and met my fate on the day that the most Trojans threw bronze-tipped spears at me around dead Peleion. Then I'd have had funeral rites, and the Achaeans would have passed my fame on, but instead, my fate is to be caught by a dismal death. As he said this, a great wave drove down on him from above, rushing dreadfully, and whirled the raft around. Odysseus threw the rudder from his hands and fell far away from the vessel. A terrible hurricane came, made of winds joined together. It broke his mast in the middle, and the sail and yardarm fell far off in the sea. The storm held him underwater for a long time. He wasn't able to surface very quickly from the assault of the great wave. The clothes that divine Calypso had given him weighed him down. Eventually, he emerged, and he spat out the bitter sea water that poured from his head in a rush. But regardless, despite his exhaustion, he didn't forget his raft. He rushed after it through the waves and seized hold of it. Sitting in the middle, he avoided death. A great wave carried the raft here and there through the current. In the same way that the north wind, in late summer, carries thistles across the plains, bunches holding on to each other, that's how the wind carried the raft here and there over the water. Sometimes the south wind would toss it to the north wind to carry, other times, the east wind would hand it off to the west to drive it. The daughter of Cadmos, Eno, of the beautiful ankles, Leucothea, the white goddess, she saw him. She was once mortal, with human speech, but now on the high sea she had a share of honor from the gods. She took pity on wandering Odysseus in his pain. She rose up from the surface of the water, appearing as a gull in flight, and she sat on the raft and spoke to him. Poor man, why does the earthshaker Poseidon hate you terribly enough to create so many evils for you? He won't destroy you, though he really wants to. But you don't seem like an idiot to me, so this is exactly what you should do. Strip off those clothes. Leave the raft behind for the winds to carry, and try, on your own, to swim back to the land of the Phaeacus, where it's your fate to escape. Here, take this divine veil and wrap it around your chest. Don't worry at all. You won't suffer or be destroyed. 
Then, once you've touched dry land, untie the veil, turn away, and throw it back into the wine-dark sea, far from shore. So saying, the goddess gave him her veil, and appearing as a gull, she plunged back into the swelling sea. A dark wave covered her. Then, resilient, divine Odysseus began to consider he was shaken, and he said to himself, to his great-hearted spirit, O oh God, what if this is one of the immortals weaving another trap for me, telling me to leave my raft? But I won't be persuaded just yet. I saw with my own eyes that the land is far away, the place she said would be a refuge for me. Instead, I'll do this, since it seems like the best option. So long as the planks hold together, I'll stay right here and I'll suffer through and endure the pain. But once the waves shake my raft apart, then I'll swim. There doesn't seem to be anything better to do. While he thought this through and felt it out, Poseidon, the Earthshaker, stirred up a huge wave, disastrous and terrible, hanging over Odysseus, and Poseidon drove it against him. Just as a storm wind might shake up a heap of dried chaff, scattering it everywhere, that's how the wave scattered the long planks. Then Odysseus straddled a beam, like he was riding a horse, and he took off the clothes the goddess Calypso had given him. He immediately wrapped the veil around his chest and fell headfirst into the sea, spreading his arms wide, ready to swim. The Lord Earthshaker saw him. Shaking his head, he said to himself, Fine, then. Roam the sea, suffering many troubles, until you meet with men raised by Zeus. But even so, I don't think you'll make light of your troubles. So saying, Poseidon whipped his beautifully maned horses and went to Aegai, where he has a famous house. Then Athena, daughter of Zeus, had another thought. She held the other winds back from their course, and ordered them all to stop and lie down. She stirred up the swift north wind and broke the waves before him until Zeus-born Odysseus, escaping death and his end, could join the oar-loving Phaeacus. Then for two days and two nights, a strong wave led him astray. And many times, he thought he saw destruction right in front of him. But when fair-haired dawn brought the third day, and when the wind stopped and there was a calm stillness in the air, then Odysseus, keeping a sharp lookout and lifted by a great wave, saw land nearby. When Odysseus saw the wooded land, he was overjoyed. In the same way that signs of life bring relief to the children of a sick father, who's been attacked by a vile daimon, an evil spirit, and lies suffering from intense pain, wasting away for a long time. His children are overjoyed when the gods free him from his troubles, and that's exactly the kind of joy the sight of the wooded land brought to Odysseus. But when he was in shouting range of the shore, he heard the thud of the surf against the reef. A great wave thundered against the dry land, roaring terribly, and everything was wrapped in sea foam. There weren't any harbors to hold ships, and there weren't any places for ships to shelter at anchor. Instead, there were jutting headlands, and cliffs, and reefs, and right then Odysseus' knees went weak and his dear heart broke. He was shaken, and he said to himself, to his great-hearted spirit, God, now that Zeus has given me a chance to see land, when I've given up hope, and now that I've finished cutting through this gulf, there doesn't seem to be any way out of the grey salt sea.
Outside there are sharp cliffs. A rushing wave thunders around them, and the rock extends up, sheer and smooth. The senior shore is deep. There's no way to stand on both feet and get clear of trouble. There's a chance a great wave might snatch me as I try to get out and throw me against the rocky cliff, and my attempt would be for nothing. But say I swim out even farther, and somehow find spits of land jutting out to sea in safe harbors from the ocean. I'm afraid a hurricane snatching me up again would carry me groaning heavily on the fish-filled sea. Or some spirit, some daimon, will sick some great sea monster on me, like the many famed Amphitrite rears, for I know how the famed Earthshaker hates me. While he thought these things over, and felt them out, a great wave carried him against the jagged headland. There his skin would have been torn away, and his bones crushed, if the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, hadn't put it in his head to rush and seize the rock with both hands. He held on to it, groaning, until the great wave passed, and so he escaped, but the wave, flowing back again in a rush, struck him, and tossed him far out to sea. In the same way that packed pebbles stick to the suckers of an octopus as it's dragged out of its den, just so the skin was torn from his strong hands by the rocks, a great wave covered him. Then Odysseus, unfairly cursed, unlucky beyond what was set down for him, would have been destroyed. If bright-eyed Athena hadn't given him good sense. Emerging from the waves, which spewed towards land, he swam along the coast, looking to the shore, to see if he could somehow find spits of land jutting out to sea and safe harbors from the ocean. When he came to the mouth of a clear-flowing river, there the place seemed best. Smooth, free of rocks, and there was shelter from the wind on it. He saw it flowing and prayed in his heart, Listen, Lord, whoever you are, I come to you, the answer to my prayers, fleeing the sea and Poseidon's abuses. Any wandering man is due respect, even from the immortal gods, so now I come as well, having suffered a great deal, to your current and your knees. Take pity on me, Lord. I claim sanctuary. That's what he said. And at once the river stopped his current and held back the wave. He made a calm before Odysseus, and brought him safely to the mouth of the river. Odysseus fell to his hands and knees, his dear heart tamed by the salt sea. His skin was swollen all over, and seawater dripped from his mouth and nose. Breathless and speechless, he lay powerless, and deep exhaustion hit him. When he could breathe again, and his courage rallied to his heart, right then he untied the god's veil from around him and let it go into the river, flowing out to sea. And a great wave carried it back down the current. Eno at once took it in her dear hands. Leaving the river, Odysseus lay down under the reeds and kissed the grain-giving land. Shaken, he said to himself, to his great-hearted spirit. Oh God, what next? After all this, what'll happen to me now? If I keep watch by the river through the dismal night, the combination of vile frost and fresh dew might overcome my exhausted heart. I'm that weak and a cold breeze blows from the river before dawn. If I climb the hillside to the dense, shady woods and fall asleep in the thick bushes, hoping for some relief from my exhaustion and the cold and sweet sleep comes to me, I might become prey and spoil for wild animals. He thought about it, and that seemed like his best bet. So he went to the wood. 
He found it near the water, clearly visible. He crawled under two small trees growing from the same place, an olive and a wild olive. The force of cold, wet winds never blew through them. Rays of sunlight never pierced, and no rainstorm could penetrate. That's how thickly the two grew together, intertwined. Odysseus crawled under them, and immediately gathered together a broad bed with his hands. There were plenty of piles of leaves, enough to protect two or three men in winter, even if it was very harsh. Seeing it, divine, long-suffering Odysseus was glad. He lay down in the middle and covered himself with a pile of leaves, in the same way that someone hides an ember in a heap of black ash, on some remote farm with no neighbors nearby, so they can preserve a seed of fire and don't have to get a light from somewhere else. That's the way Odysseus covered himself with the leaves. And Athena poured sleep on his eyes, covering his eyelids so he could quickly put an end to his deep exhaustion. You've been listening to The Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening. <laughs>